Uh, my name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Lighthouse. Uh, welcome to Praxis, our young adult singles ministry for 30 and under. Uh, this is the first Praxis of the 2022 year. And if you are here, like Chris mentioned, as a fellowship group we've been committed to in studying the book of Romans, we will continue that next week. But we thought it would be good to pause up front at the turn of uh, this new year and kind of explain and cast a vision and our hopes as a core staff for Praxis. Um, if you didn't know, I, I don't, I'm not the only one that runs the show. There are other people who serve faithfully, who pour into this ministry. Uh, they are your core staff. Um, some of you are probably good friends with some of them, um, and you'll get to see them from time to time as they uh, participate and serve in various capacities. But we actually had a core staff retreat where we really uh, buckled down and uh, thought through ways in which we thought um, Praxis could continue to develop and grow as a ministry. And for those of you who've been with us for some time, I'm sure you're well aware, Praxis has grown substantially, and we're thankful for all the new faces. It's a little smaller tonight, but I think because people are maybe still at home for the holidays or traveling um, or just the current um, situation with coronavirus. But um, we've been trying to think through, okay, how do we minister as effectively and in a faithful way uh, even as we're scaling in size, right? And so this, the large size of our group poses some very unique challenges, right? It, it requires more intention on our part to meet everyone. It requires more time to develop and foster relationships. And um, there's no beating around the bush. It also is harder, right, to get a read, to gauge where everyone is at spiritually. And it's not like we have to all be in agreement on every minute theological detail, but we should have at least the common bond of faith, a foundation to stand on, a basic understanding of why we exist as the church, why we exist as a particular ministry practice here on Thursday nights. And so for 2022, the Praxis Core staff has identified three specific areas that we really want to target, shore up, and uh, invest in. And these are broad categories we're going to shoot for. It's not to say everything we do will neatly fit into these three individual areas, but it gives us kind of a benchmark to work with, something to strive for, something concrete to help us evaluate uh, make decisions, and assess how we're doing as a fellowship group. And so the three areas are a robust understanding of the word, uh, number two, a joyful and sacrificial heart of service, and number three, a community created and united by the gospel. And so in summary, to wrap it all together into a pithy sentence, you could say, we hope, we aim that practice would be uh, a place where the ministry of the word produces gospel community that serves others for the glory of Christ. The ministry of the word would produce gospel community that serves others for the glory of Christ. And so that's our hope, our desire that for 2022, we want to concentrate on the Bible, serving, and community. And this is more than just a nifty catchphrase or what we diagnose as leaders uh, that we thought was necessary and beneficial for praxis. 
Now, actually, what we see is when we study the scriptures, this mission statement is derived from the Bible. It is what God is after, what he desires and designs for his people for the church. And so as we make our way through the text tonight, I want you to think in terms of those three categories. Consider those three components and how they are indispensable to the Christian faith and all that transpires not only on a Thursday night, but practice overall as we share life together. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians 1. Colossians 1, uh, we'll be looking at verses 24 to 29. Um, Go ahead and turn there and uh, follow along as I read our passage for us, and then we will pray for the Lord's help. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, This is a few books after uh, Romans. Uh, Colossians 1 beginning verse 24. Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. God, this passage is magnificent because it directs our attention to the one who wields all power, glory, and honor. And it is humbling to to read and hear and to learn that you desire for us to know Christ and to become like him. And then you call us not only to salvation, but to be used to advance the gospel. Lord, that we are not passive uh, once we are redeemed, but you enable us to partner with you in some sense to carry forth your vision, your mission, Lord, to present everyone mature in Christ. And so we ask that as we evaluate not only our own lives, but our fellowship group, that you would give us uh, the right impetus and the right... uh, heart, um, the right systems and programs to accomplish what you have designed and desire. Lord, we ask for help now, Lord, that your spirit would be here to convict us, to prune us, to make us more like your son, and we would rejoice that uh, we not only know him, but we can make him known. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're not familiar with the book of Colossians, Uh, The aim that the apostle has is pretty simple. Uh, Paul, the same author of the book of Romans, Paul is setting Jesus up front and center, putting the supremacy and sufficiency of the Son of God on display. And so what chapter 1 does is it launches us to these mountaintop heights where we behold the preeminence of Christ in everything. And the apostle 
closes the previous section by noting the privilege he has as a minister of this gospel, as a servant of his Lord and Savior. And Paul now turns and elaborates on this subject. What does it mean then to be a disciple, a servant of Christ? And really, what does it mean to be a Christian in the church? And Paul's answer is found in verses 24 to 29, which is really one long sentence in the Greek. But for our time tonight, we'll arrange our study under four headings. Four headings. The first essential for ministry for, that, that should define us here as praxis, uh, what the apostle commissions us to is the Christian's sacrifice. The Christian's sacrifice. Look again at verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now there's a lot going on here, but what we can gather is Paul's confession off the bat is startling. It's shocking to us, right? Instead of comforts, having what we want, setting our own agenda, Paul rejoices in his sacrifice. I don't know about you, personally, I can't recall the last time I pumped my fist into the air at the prospect of something unpleasant. I mean, to make it even more absurd, I can't recall the last time I rejoiced at suffering for the sake of another. And yet here, the apostle celebrates. It'd be like inheriting someone else's problems and yet still smiling. You know, their financial debt, their relational strife, their complications with health, their uncertainty about the future, all that thrown onto your shoulders, now your problems, and yet you're still happy. And if that doesn't baffle us, Paul says something about filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Oh, well, if you're confused, don't feel bad. This has stumped many smart Christian scholars for years. Uh, including myself, but uh, after a lot of studying and thinking, here's my meager attempt to explain it. First, we know Paul doesn't mean that there's anything deficient, anything lacking in Christ's work on the cross. That would contradict what Paul wrote in verse 20, where he explains how peace, wholeness, fullness has been made by the blood of Jesus' cross. So if that's not what he's getting at, what is Paul talking about? Well, Paul, I believe, is talking about afflictions that come with the territory of our allegiance to Jesus, with siding with Christ. You recall Jesus' words to his disciples, if the world persecuted me, surely they will persecute you. And so Christ's afflictions are lacking in the sense that, well, he's no longer around today, physically, tangibly present to suffer for the cause of the gospel. He's resurrected and ascended to the heavens, but the torch has been passed to us, to his followers, that we are so closely linked that when we suffer, Paul exclaims, it's as if Jesus himself is suffering. The apostle is picking up on the intimacy that exists between Jesus Christ and his people. That Christ's ministry on earth was filled with hardship, culminating, crystallized for us with his death on the cross. And while, yes, sin has been defeated, we wait. We wait for the day when our king returns. And until then, we are his ambassadors here on earth, 
following in his footsteps, even if it means enduring similar echoes of suffering and sacrifice. You see, in God's plan of salvation, these are his marching orders for his disciples. And this is what excites Paul. That if there is still suffering to be endured on behalf of Christ, well, it can only mean the conclusion he draws is that the gospel is working. It is advancing. It's kind of like fuel in the tank of our cars. And so just think of your Prius or uh, my Ferrari. Uh, They use gasolines so that they can arrive at a particular destination, right? So a full tank will maybe get you to San Francisco, but in the process, what happens? Well, your engine consumes that fuel. And in his divine wisdom, God has apportioned, allotted, ordained a tank of suffering. And it must be burned up for his vehicle to move forward. You see, when you and I sacrifice, we are using up the suffering that comes from the tank of identifying with his son. We are metaphorically pushing God's vehicle, the church, towards its final destination when, at the right time, right place, Christ returns. And we'll know that we have arrived. The apostle has his sights fixed on something entirely different from us. When we encounter suffering, when we're put in a position of sacrifice, what do we latch on to? What it costs us, how much it hurts. When Paul encounters suffering, when he's put in a position to sacrifice, to minister really, he's focused on how this will benefit others, how this will advance the gospel. So my question, Praxis, is what about you? You know, today, we may not be persecuted in a physical, harmful sense. Our suffering and sacrifice may take on a different shape, a different form. Perhaps it's the sacrifice of a free Thursday night, just to be present to encourage other Christians here. It's the sacrifice of putting your pride to bed so that you can greet a visitor or share your struggles in small group. It's a sacrifice of not taking a job with crazy hours so that you can be involved in community. It's the sacrifice of perhaps a promotion because you refuse to do anything shady and you want to be a good witness for Jesus Christ. It's the sacrifice of your comfort zone and serving outside of your expertise but according to the church's need. It's the simple sacrifice of being committed to practice to church because you understand there are greater things at stake than your wants, your preferences. You may never be recognized by others for your faithful sacrifice, but let me tell you, Christ sees. He feels every sacrifice his body endures. And so we serve as a fellowship group because we understand we have been served much in Christ. Paul moves from the Christian sacrifice to, second, the Christian's stewardship. The Christian's stewardship. Glance again at verse 25. It says, okay, so we suffer for the sake and we sacrifice for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
A ministry is not owed to anyone. God is not obligated to use us. And yet, in his graciousness, God chooses to utilize people like Paul, like you, and like me. We don't serve because we're so good. God is good. And he has entrusted the Apostle Paul a certain stewardship. And guess what? He has entrusted to you and me a stewardship. That in his kindness, God has given each one of us tailor-made a particular ministry so that we might also experience his kindness as we minister. Friends, is this how you see serving and the opportunities before you here at Praxis? And we do well to inspect our hearts now while being part of this group is still fresh and exciting, especially if you're newer here. And if it's not, if you've been around the block, if you're a seasoned um, Praxin, it's a good time to re-examine and revisit. Because when things get going, when our schedules are hectic, and if our numbers continue to grow, we need to remember, we need to remember this is a gift. This is God's blessed stewardship to us. Because look, there's no... There's no sugarcoating it. Ministry at times, it is inconvenient. It is unpleasant. At times, we won't even be thanked. And so what will enable you to press on if you are struck by the gravity and honor of this stewardship? Paul specifies the contents of this stewardship charged to the church. He says, here it is. This is what, what is given to you, your mission to make the word of God fully known. Now, your first thought may be, okay, perfect. That's the job of the pastor. He's supposed to preach and teach so we know the word of God. To which I would say, how dare you? Um, just kidding. Obviously, that is in part true. God has appointed pastors and teachers, but their role is for the equipping of saints to do what? To do the work of the ministry. Don't overlook the injunction placed on all of us. There's no distinguishing here, right? So while, yes, it is the duty of the preacher to present the word, it is your duty and mine as Christians to know the word of God and make it known how through obedient lives. You may think I'm splitting hairs here, but this is crucial. What happens on our Thursday nights in Sunday service, or whenever the word of God is opened up, proclaimed, it's sacred. These are divine appointments which demand our best response. The charge is meant to steer us away from passivity, from just sitting there and trying to soak things in. Don't succumb in, uh, to tuning in and tuning out and allowing your mind to drift. No, be present. Be active, participate. I often refer to the teaching portion of a church service as worship through the word. Worship through the word. Why? Because it's not just the preacher who is unloading the word. It is God working to awaken your heart to the word and stir holy affections for Christ. It's why we gather to worship together. And in part, the measure of your stewardship is what translates from here 
into your very lives. Your Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and on until we meet again. You see, God's word is not necessarily finished when it's merely imparted, when it's preached. It's when preaching accomplishes God's purposes. It doesn't return to him void, but it comes back yielding a harvest of transformed lives. And so one of the biggest ways you can contribute to any church is simply listen and obey, to hear the word of God and then grow. Practice, we may be getting bigger. We may have a wide range of background, professions, personalities, but be faithful with what God has given you, knowing that your ambition should be to make the word of God known. Paul stresses how fortunate we are. Not, because, not only because of the content of the stewardship, but also the timing. You know how infuriating riddles can be? Especially if you've strained and racked every brain cell to try to solve one, but to no avail. And the longer you are kept in suspense, the more you want to know the solution, and the more you appreciate the riddle, if it's a good one. You're less satisfied if the answer is obvious and it takes you two seconds to figure out. But a really tough riddle, you agonize over it for hours so that when the mystery is finally revealed, you appreciate the wittiness, how amazing it is. And Paul speaks of a mystery found in the Bible. He mentions this mystery hidden for ages and generations from the time of Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, the kings of Judah and Israel, to major and minor prophets. They have all longed to understand the marvelous tapestry of God's work. What is he doing? They all died before Jesus arrives on scene. But we now at this juncture in human history, we are so blessed to know how the story ends, to see Christ, and to see him every time we peer into his perfect word. And that's why we ought to be students of the word, knowing that this story is our story. Beloved, we stand on the shoulders of all who came before us. Do you see the contrast that the apostles make in here? This is the mystery hidden in the past for ages, but now today revealed to his saints, to Christians. The content is precious, the timing is privileged, and it has been entrusted to you, not so that you can gloat, not so that you can know the secret way to heaven, but as a stewardship, so that you can pay it forward. That we guard the good deposit by discipling, by sharing the good news with others. And Paul continues to expand upon this, the immense stewardship, by showing us the true worth of this mystery. We find the third essential, the Christian's splendor. The Christian's splendor in verse 27. To them, so these New Testament saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now we read a verse like this, and let's be honest, we can be a bit indifferent, right? We're unmoved. This phrase falls on deaf ears. This magnificent mystery that Paul speaks about, the riches of the glory of this mystery, it sounds 
tedious, very wordy to us. It'd be like if I was trying to praise minister, uh, ministry associate Chris by heaping adjectives upon each other and say, Chris, who is the smartest, of the most brilliant, of the, uh, of the brightest uh, uh, on this planet of planets. Uh, you would think, okay, that's being a, a bit uh, overdone, uh, overdone a, a bit extreme. It comes off disingenuous. That's just trying too hard. It's too much. And maybe so, according to the rules of language, but in reality, think about this. When Paul reaches for these words, he's actually dropping terribly short of community, of communicating this spectacular truth. The irony is that any flowery, skilled attempt to describe the splendor of salvation is impossible. You can't exaggerate God and his glory in the work of redemption. Listen, you and I can only understate it. And that should blow us away. That should leave us stunned and staggering. Paul does his best to stack word upon word. He assigns the attribute of God himself by calling these riches something that is so intricately tied to God's own character. Glory. And notice where Paul locates this mystery. He says, among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the people outside of the covenant in the Old Testament. And whenever we read the Bible, the Old Testament, we're impressed by the prized place of the Israelites. Right? They are chosen. They are selected. They are the apple of God's eye. And yet now in the New Testament, Paul is baffled because this mystery reaches even the Gentiles. The deadbeats and the outcasts those that exist on the bottom of the totem pole, the least expected candidates to have a relationship with God. It's surprising for God to esteem Israel, but it is completely surreal and shocking for God to care for the Gentiles. And guess what? That's you. That's me. It would be like showing up to a birthday party, watching the birthday boy unwrap all of his gifts, and then discovering, surprise, there's also a gift for everyone in attendance. It's a sweet deal. It would never cross our minds, and this offer of salvation would have never crossed anyone's mind. Paul condenses the splendor of this mystery in three potent words. It's right there in the verse. Christ in you. Think about that. Christ in you. I mean, we just celebrated Christmas, right? God born in a manger. And yet here, Paul seems to do one better. God dwelling within you, within me. The wonder of this truth is missed by a lot of us. You know, maybe if we're biblically sharp, we've picked up on Paul's con consistent usage of another phrase, right? In Christ. We see this all throughout his letters. Paul uses it everywhere, that we are kept faithful in Christ. Everything is about being in Christ. We are justified before God in Christ. We've seen it in the book of Romans. Sanctification happens in Christ. And yet here, while closely related, the apostle employs a slightly different phrase. He reverses the imagery and refers to Christ in us. Both expressions are similar. But the nuance is remarkable. Yes, much of the greatness of the gospel is that we are found in Christ. We are made righteous in Christ. But the riches of the glory of this mystery is also this. That Christ 
is in you. If you know your Bibles, you scan the Old Testament, it ought to leave you speechless because there are key points in the Scriptures where people can't even come into the presence of God. That God's glory is so awesome, so terrifying, that people are are pushed out. That Moses himself can't enter the tabernacle after it's completed. That the priests can't approach the house of the Lord because house of the Lord because God's glory is jam-packed in there. But here, Paul says, through Christ, he dwells in you. And this is why we congregate in community. As much as we might find common interests, enjoy snacks after service, and resonate with others in a similar stage of life, Praxis isn't here as a social club or something merely to preoccupy and fill your Thursdays. We congregate so the glory of God might be put on display. And community, community gives us the context to showcase that Christ is within us to display his infinite worth when we resemble our Lord and Savior, when we bear each other's burdens, when we serve behind scenes, when we pray for our brothers and sisters in small groups, when we speak and share of the gospel. Because Jesus is why we exist. It is only fitting for this passage to then end the way it does. Paul closes by pushing us towards Christian service. Our final point, the Christian's service. The Christian service. Verse 28. Him, speaking of this Christ who is in us, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his, God's energy that he powerfully works within me. The story doesn't terminate on us just being mere recipients. Instead, we are so overwhelmed, we're turned inside out, that we must respond in a service of this good God. And there's another personal pronoun here for emphasis. Him, almost as a finger pointing, summarizing, condensing. Him, we ourselves proclaim. As glorious and worthy as Christ is, It is therefore necessary for us to act. We are to proclaim, to herald. And notice Paul's message is not a philosophy, a principle, or a program. Paul's message is a person. Sure, we have programs here at practice. We have philosophies and principles we want to think through and sift through, work with in determining events and, and various aspects of our ministry. But it can all whittle down to the person of Jesus Christ. Look where Paul places the accent. Christ is fronted for emphasis. He comes first in this verse and in everything. Guys, this is what defines the church, not a witty slogan, not the number of people in attendance on a Thursday or Sunday, not the variety of ministries offered, not the trendiness or even the tradition of our service. When we stand before God, he will be interested in whether we were faithful to proclaim Christ. How are we to do this? Well, Paul provides two participles that 
kind of unpack and shed light. He says, warning and teaching. Warning and teaching, both are essential. Warning touches on the negative side, where people need to be corrected, believers to be admonished away from their errors, made known of their blind spots, unbelievers told of impending judgment, that they are in sin, that they are held accountable to a God. But that alone is not enough. Teaching fills the picture by presenting the positive side, that people also need to be instructed and built up, that they need to know the word of God, believers turning from their sin and towards godly obedience, holiness in their lives, that unbelievers from hearing judgment to the good news of Jesus Christ, that forgiveness and reconciliation is possible for those who repent and believe. These are the two angles we employ so we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul doesn't give us all the nitty-gritties, but he sure does give us the guidelines. And the extent Paul commits himself to this service is spelled out in verse 29. He uses very vivid words. He says, toil, struggling. They're often found in reference to war, or athletics. And we get this. You know, to succeed in combat or in sports, it requires the most intense focus, the most intense discipline, unwavering drive and purpose. And this is born out of those who understand and embrace God's commission. We are pushed to serve instead of sit on the sidelines. Those he has divinely placed in our path. The repetition of everyone in verse 28, three times should broadcast the message loudly and clearly. Every person is fair game. Everyone. No one is above or below being presented mature in Christ. That may sound intimidating at first, but I actually find it refreshing because it injects purpose into every relationship we have. Who has God placed in your sphere of influence? With God, nothing is accidental. Maybe it's the newcomer at Praxis who just moved into the South Bay, who shares a similar occupation as you. Maybe it's a family that you've met here at a recent Lighthouse event. Maybe it's just being present, showing up so that your service is as organic as the relationships that you're developing. Though our stage of life, our location and age may change, our call to this service does not. That's why there's a lifetime worth of work. We're not content with just bringing people through the doors, or even the doors of salvation. We aim for maturity for ourselves and for those around us. As I was thinking through this, it's quite sobering, actually, because it reminds me that my job as a pastor is not finished in preaching to you, no matter how good or bad my sermons may be. No, instead, all of us, if we do not labor to equip those entrusted in our ministry to share the gospel, to disciple one another, to obey God and study the Bible, we have stopped too short. Yes, we pray for conversion, That is amazing and awesome, but we also seek to do all that is possible within our power to fulfill our God-given duty. And this looks different for each person we might encounter. 
For the unbeliever, it means presenting Christ, calling them to faith and repentance. For our other fellow brothers and sisters, it means coming alongside of them, sharpening one another towards a greater obedience and service. For this ministry, it means putting Jesus Christ at the center of it all so that when we walk away every week, our hearts are burning with the greatness of God. And we turn back to square one. Hopefully by now, if I've done my job, throughout the entire sermon and within our passage, we see how laden, how primary the word, service, and community are. They are the warp and woof of Christianity. So for 2022, I'm going to now talk on a more practical level. As a fellowship group, we're going to endeavor and experiment with a few things to hopefully promote a deeper understanding of God's word a community marked by the gospel, a service that tells of the splendor of Jesus Christ. Here's a sneak peek of what's to come. These, again, are works in progress, so uh, please be patient and don't get angry if we we don't get to all of these. We're still hashing them out as a leadership, and uh, we would love feedback as well, but uh, this is kind of what we had in mind. So uh, in that first category for word, obviously we are committed to the study of God's word. That's why uh, uh, one of the the main staples of our Thursday service is uh, exposition, to go verse by verse through a book of the Bible we've been working through, Romans. But what we thought would be helpful, so uh, one, one little thing on that note is uh, you can come prepared. You know, read the upcoming passage before so that you're immersing your mind so that um, as, as you are saturated in Scripture, you can share it with one another. Um, so we, that, that will be... Uh, our bread and butter for um, our teaching. But during the summer, we're going to take a break, and we're going to try more of an inductive approach to uh, the Bible study in our small groups because we want you to be able to uh, read the Bible adeptly on your own. We want you to get your hands dirty in the text, uh, picking apart, pulling it Um, apart so that you can see how it applies, how your life should be changed, because the goal is not to make you dependent upon praxis. Uh, The goal is to make you dependent upon God and his word. And so uh, we're going to kind of switch things up in the summer. Uh, We're still deciding what book to study, but the idea is that you would come, and after praise, you would break up into small groups where you get to observe, interact with the text, ask questions, um, and help each other kind of understand a particular passage. And then after that inductive Bible study part, we will then have a message on that particular passage afterwards, which makes it, um, makes it quite intimidating for whoever is speaking, so, uh, because you guys will all be experts on that particular passage, so I'll probably have to ask Chris to uh, spearhead the summer series and preach every message. Uh, so that's what we're considering for Word. Uh, we want you to have a robust understanding of the Word uh, for yourself, the skill and ability to handle the text. Uh, the next part is service, right? So I think we do a pretty good job of this. I think the, the challenge for us as practices is there is a high turnover rate. And so to accommodate for that, you know, like people come in and out because of job, um, relocation, or just uh, something happens in their life, uh, what we've tried to do to cater to that is to make the point of entry pretty low, right? So um, we have all ways uh, 
We have many ways to serve here at Praxis. We have something like hospitality. It's something as simple as just greeting people, uh, writing their names, saying hello. We have snacks, right? So small groups are in charge of providing snacks, but that's on pause right now because of something called COVID. Uh, we have... Uh, we have events throughout the year where we enlist certain people to help to utilize their giftings. Like uh, if you guys were here for the Christmas celebration, obviously I was not in charge of that very beautiful photo booth because it would look very ugly. No, we got some um, people who were really good at that stuff, right? Um, we have other events that are, are very service specific, like Feed My Starving Children and etc. Um, we have the praise team, which you, you can utilize if you have the musical abilities to bless us. Um, many opportunities to serve. Uh, I think one of uh, the main ways we see this is the small group leaders, right? These are peers who have decided to step up to the plate and really um, and minister to uh, fellow brothers and sisters. And so we're, we're trying to think through creative ways in which to support them, provide resources and training. And our hope is that after every season, the small group leader would have a pretty good idea of where each member is at. It's not like they need to you know, become accountability partners with every individual, but they should be able to give an account, like a one-sentence, two-sentence summary of how their members are doing on a spiritual level, maybe one high, one low. And so we're trying to provide very tangible metrics um, so that we can uh, kind of see how we're doing so that we can... Uh, uh, so that we can kind of observe how we're growing in this department. Now, whether formal service or informal, nothing prevents or precludes you from serving, right? Like, you don't have to have an official title. And I think one person who does this well, I, you know, like you probably, Andy, right? Like, um, he gets a lot of spotlight because he's loud, right? He's just always inviting people and he's always laughing and he's, out there, and I know that there's a ton of you who do the same exact thing. It's just that you're more low-key, you fly under the radar. And we're so thankful because that is so vital for our ministry here in advancing community, in providing an outlet where we do gather and share life with one another. And so I'm encouraged because I'm sharing these opportunities not because you guys are dropping the ball, but because you are so faithful in already participating, and we just want to continue to be a catalyst in promoting that kind of uh, serving mentality. And lastly is just community built on the word and service uh, to make it distinctly Christian. And I think um, one of the very key ways we do this is small group time, right? And so I really encourage you to capitalize upon uh, those moments. So our small group seasons are four months, and they, they pass by so quickly. So really take those times um, to get to know one another, to share one another's burden, to uh, make yourself vulnerable, because we understand that as we are bearing one another's burdens, as we are um, admonishing and encouraging uh, each other, this is the way that God has designed us to grow in community. Not in isolation as a maverick Christian, but as brothers and sisters who um, come close, investigate into each other's lives, and hold forth the word of God. I mean, we're big on biblical counseling here at our church. This is a very accessible 
um, and easy outlet for that. You know, using the word to address the real needs of the people in our group. We also have, we're also thinking through, you know, events. I know a lot of times we think through our attendance based on how busy we are for that particular week, but we really encourage seeing events as um, a platform as one step towards fostering community. So even if it's not something you particularly enjoy, um, think through of it in uh, a larger picture that me being present will help um, advance and promote community. And other things we're, we're, we're thinking through, you know, you guys do a good job of hanging out on Sundays after church, going out to eat. Uh, we're thinking of doing even in like very low-hanging fruit type stuff where we gather at a park uh, one Sunday um, of a month. Just bring your own lunch and you obviously need to eat and you need people to eat with. So why don't we gather and we can utilize that time to deepen our bonds. And we're thinking even like certain months we'll invite other parts of our church, right? Like, uh, I don't know, like um, vision or uh, families with young kids, bring them out and fold them so that we understand community, yes, exists here within practice, within particular demographic, but it doesn't have to be constrained to just this particular age. It should be a reflection of our entire community as the body of Christ. So those are some of the things that uh, we're still working through. If you have suggestions, feel free to speak to myself or to Chris or any of the core staff. Um, but it is our desire that this fellowship group uh, would grow in these ways because as we've seen from Colossians, this is really what ministry is about. This is how we operate as Christians within the context of the church. Um, to wrap it all together and remind us, um, again, it's the ministry of the word producing gospel community that serves others for the glory of Christ. And so uh, let's pray now and close our time asking for the Lord to seal that upon our hearts and, and to really be intentional in um, being proponents for that goal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the people that you've surrounded us and given to us. Lord, we know that all the gifts and experiences, um, just even where we are in our maturity of the faith, uh, they have been appointed, Lord, to build up uh, the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we would pray that uh, we pray that we would think through those things, that we'd be faithful with the stewardship entrusted to us, that we might serve one another, all because of Christ. Uh, we desire to present everyone mature in Christ because we long to be mature in Christ, to glory in the hope of the gospel. And so, Lord, I thank you for uh, this fellowship group. I pray that uh, you would use it to, to bear much fruit um, for our joy and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.